My, my name is uh, Eric Carroll. I'm the CEO of Keystone Education Group, and welcome to the Keystone Education Group Higher Ed uh, podcast and chat. Um, the purpose of this podcast is to interview uh, industry leaders in higher ed, innovators in the industry, folks who are transforming the industry. And um, I'm very pleased to have um, Professor Andrea Nolentier, uh, one of those innovators, transformers um, in, in our space. Very pleased to have her. And um, just from a, a uh, before I hand, we start the uh, the podcast, I just want to say that um, you know if anyone has any questions, please uh, uh, put them into the um, chat um, place, and then we can address the questions uh, uh, later in the, in the podcast. But first of all, welcome, and Andrea. Great to have you here, and delighted to uh, spend an hour with you. Uh, it's so, delight, uh, a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. No, absolutely, really delighted here. So I think before we start, um, I think it would be great if you could. You know, tell us um, about just some just about the University of Law, uh, some facts and figures, um, the mission um, of the University of Law. That'd be a, sort of a great place to start. Okay, um, the University of Law is um, a unique institution, I would say, um, in that its mission at the outset um, was to be dedicated exclusively to the education of, of future lawyers. Um, now, the mission has broadened somewhat from there in that we have a business school and we're expanding into other areas. But um, essentially, we remain true to the, the, the core mission, which is excellence in legal education. Um, one of the key features of the university has been rapid expansion over the last five to six years. In fact, um, that period has seen a doubling in student numbers. Um, and now the approximately 14,000 students um, enroll with the University of Law this year. Um, as I say, doubling up, uh, doubling, a doubling of numbers from um, seven years ago. So um, significant growth, but the key, the key feature in that growth is that it hasn't been, um, it hasn't taken place at the expense of um, maintaining quality, indeed increasing quality, increasing student outcomes, um, increasing employability, degree outcomes um, across the portfolio. So um, it's been central to the mission to be successful commercially, clearly, but also um, to drive um, performance in, um, in student outcomes and employability. And, and that very much has been the case. I think in terms of the key mission, um, that employability uh, theme permeates um, uh, the, the University of Law. Clearly, as a, a university dedicated to law, um, the vocational nature of, um, of the education that we were deliver that we deliver is, is fundamental. And and in that, it's very much a, um, a focus on applied learning. So, you know, one of the um, the standout features of the university is that most of our lecturers are practicing lawyers or indeed in the business school they are again um, expert practitioners from who, who've actually been in business who are or been in, in legal practice which means that they their approach is, is, is very much applied it's very much case law based and that resonates uh, very well with students who like the application of, of knowledge to, to real life situations. Um, and, and again, that's a, a pretty unique feature whereby um, whilst there is a clear focus on the um, on engaging in the academic study of law, the, the key outcomes are about delivering on employment success and application of law. So we are um, in, in the legal education space, the largest provider of, um, of uh, postgraduate education in law in the UK. Um, and another feature of the last six to seven years has been the, the rapid growth in undergraduate education in law too. So we now, um, we are now um, head to head in the, um, in, in the undergraduate numbers as well. Um, and again, that's, um, much of that is because of an expansion geographically. So we are multi-campus based and over the last um, um, few years have expanded our footprint both in the UK and also overseas having campuses in both Hong Kong and in Berlin, which delivers a, an interesting feature, um, an offer to students, which is um, students can start in one campus and transfer to another um, and then and enjoy a university experience which is has mobility built into it should should they so wish um, and that's particularly important for students who who may wish to be home-based at the outset of their studies 
but may in the course of their of their studies wish to move on develop ambition develop more confidence to um, to explore other other cities or indeed other countries no thanks for that um introduction and we're gonna of course we're gonna talk a little bit more uh, later in the podcast about um you know law schools and trends and going on in, in the in the in, in law schools and legal law school education that sort of thing so we'll come back to that yeah. a little bit later um, the, obviously, the the thing, one part of this podcast, and the kind of the, the uh, main theme of this podcast, is about creating greater diversity in in higher leadership, um, education leadership, and that's the topic that we're going to sort of start with. But before uh, before we j- jump to that, it'd be great if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, um, sort of, um, you know, what was your path uh, to becoming vice chancellor of of University of Law. I think that'd be very interesting for people to hear about is sort of that the, the path you took. Okay. Um, right, so go, scrolling back to the beginning, I suppose then, uh, which is a long time ago. <laughs> um, so I, um, I don't come from a family of um, high academic achievers. In fact, my, I'm the first, I'm the youngest child of three, um, first in my um, family to go to university. Um, which is a big, big deal, um, big deal, um, big, um, you know, it was a, a real, a real sea change in, um, in, in, in aspiration um, um, on, 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 for me. Um, my mum uh, was a single parent from about very early 30s, so the three of us, she brought the three of us up, and, um, but instilled in us, all three, um, very much an ambition to do, um, to excel in whatever field um, we chose. And I, I think in terms of um, real drive, um, not ambition for the sake of it, I think it was very much ambition because if you believe um, that you have the confidence to make a difference, then, then, then you should. And so really from quite a, a quite challenging background um, in terms of um, time and, and money, um, the encouragement as always to do as well as well as possible so you know my mum was absolutely key in my um my, my growth and development she in, in fact she in her 30s as a single parent went back to college and qualified um in her professional field um and we studied together in, in a sense <laughs> me and my teens and her her having gone back to college and working part-time um to get those qualifications so that, that was a key feature in um in my childhood um, I then went to university in Scotland. Um, I chose law because, again, it had a vocational element to it. It wasn't. Um, it was very much a career choice in law rather than an academic choice. Although it's a um, it's a choice that I I, I enjoyed hugely and really. Um, we, again, we can talk a little bit later about law, but it was a, a hugely enjoyable um, experience for me. Um, and clearly, the path was written. Um, to, to go into a law, to join a law firm and to go and practice law. I kind I, I deviated. I deviated almost by accident. Um, I, so my career moving into, in, into education was, was very much, a, a friend asked me to do some teaching at uh, an evening class. I did it and I loved it. I fell <clears throat> absolutely head over heels in love with teaching um, and my students who happened to have been that first cohort of students were were, were just tremendously inspiring. And I, I realized um, that uh, without being immodest, I, I actually was quite good at teaching. I quite liked imparting the knowledge and the love of the subject that I, I, I had learned. Um, and again, it, it came as a surprise. Um, and it was really quite a deviation from the track that was, um, was, was, was plotted. But um, it's certainly not one that I've ever regretted. Um, uh, in fact, it's been a, you know, it's been a hugely enriching career. But um, I think the key piece in all of that potted history was um, success didn't come overnight. <laughs> and mm. I think it would be absolutely wrong to suggest that. Um, you know, careers in academia or uh, in teaching indeed, or in leadership in universities happen very quickly. Uh, they don't, they're learned, you know, they are learned. There's a long path um, towards, um, through that academic journey as a researcher, as a teacher, as a leader, as a manager, um, to learn a huge range of skills and knowledge that are required, I feel, to, 
to, to really be in a position where you can contribute and, and lead effectively um, large universities with, with, you know, huge responsibilities to both the staff and particularly to students and, and the student outcomes um, and the investment they've made in the university. So my, my first role in a, in, a, in a university was I spent 20 years um, in, um, in, in universities building a career as an academic and a researcher. Um, I became a dean of, uh, a dean of faculty. Um, and as I say, that was a, an incremental growth, um, a, a lot of learning, um, a hugely enjoyable path. But it was one that um, was absolutely necessary to, to build that, um, that base for uh, skills and knowledge and confidence um, to be able to lead. Mm. Did, did you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super interested in this sort of thing, this topic of folks, their, their kind of career journeys uh, and, and what's, what inspires them and what motivates them. And I'm just, one of the things I'm curious about is, I mean, did you have, when you went to law school, did you have the ambition to be in, in higher ed leadership, to, to be a leader at a, in a, higher ed institution at a, at a law school? Was that your ambition or was that something, was that an ambition that you sort of developed, you know, as you went through your career? Which is sort of curious, where did, when did you decide, wow, I think I really want to be a leader as well in, in the, you know, at a law school? I mean, when did that happen and how did that happen? I guess is the question. Quite early on, although, yeah. so although I, um, I knew that I had to do a lot of time served, I had a lot of learning to do. I, uh, I quite early on, I realized that um, I, and uh, first of all, I enjoyed what I was doing. I made a real impact and I, I could make an impact on, 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 on students and those around me. Um, and that was hugely motivating for me. But I think, and again, I think this is one, one of the key parts of my journey. It's been other people who have supported me and nurtured me. And I think that's a really important, um, it's very humbling to have been um, the beneficiary of really, really key mentoring. So I had a woman, um, uh, somebody who I really would not have had any, as a, as a, as a, on a personal level, we had nothing in common. Uh, she was a woman 20 years older than me. But um, really, she um, in my late twenties, when I you know was trying to work in terms of being an academic, being a, trying to look at course development, um, trying to look at innovation in in, in course design, she um, really took me under her, under her wing, and uh, not just me, a number of us of us, and um, she was a mathematician, and was very exacting. Um, but what she also had, and again, I, I think this is really important. She was great fun um, and she brought to the picture um, a degree of, uh, of collective camaraderie that it was uh, we together, we would be successful. And that, that teamwork um, and that collective um, sharing of success was really infectious. So we, um, we really carried each other along. And I think, um, just a little bit of that was enough to really accelerate my um, my, my my desire to achieve and to lead, um, and, and the realization that I could. And I think that affirmation—we all need affirmation, and we all have a responsibility to, to responsibility to affirm in others um, and encourage in others um, um, the, the chance of success. So yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying quite early on, but I was lucky that I had. Um, really outstanding people to, yeah. um, to mentor me and to really um, to make me so I could re I realized I had that potential um, yeah but it, but it seems it did did she seek you out or did you seek her out I mean I'm just again I'm I'm thinking about folks who are listening in yeah. um, now and, and listening to the podcast later on it's it's just what's proactive versus I'm just kind of curious. Did you seek, seek her out or did she seek her out? Or did she seek you out? I'm just curious how that. Yeah, I think there's always a combination of two things, but I mean, yeah. you won't, people won't seek you out unless you, um, you're, you're, you know, you make yourself um, readily available. So yeah. I think there's a, a, it's a, it's an interesting balance. Um, you right, right from the very start, um, you seize opportunities. As, as opportunities arise, you you step forward. You volunteer. You become part of teams. You even if some some of the things are not don't turn you on particularly. Um, you know, starting out in a career, building a career, you need to be coming forward. Um, and as you do, 
those people will scoop you up. Um, and you know that that's 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 equally true at any point in your career because we never stop learning, of course. But particularly earlier on, um, whilst I'd like to say people, good leaders will will find um, those with potential. Yes, they will, but you you have a responsibility to yourself as well to really um, engage proactively wherever you can. Um, mm. So I think it was a combination. Clearly, I. Um, I, I looked keen, I wanted to be engaged, I put myself forward where opportunities arose and that was, um, that was very much taken up and, um, and, and in many ways, um, you know, set me on a course, a, a, a much faster track and a much more enjoyable track than I might have had otherwise. Mm. I mean, what, what, from looking at it from a mentor standpoint, because there's obviously folks listening in who are also um, potential mentors, I mean, what can we as mentors do, both men and women, what can we do to encourage more uh, diversity in, in leadership uh, positions? What, well, what I think you give us? What, 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 what are some ways to, to encourage um, more diversity in leadership, to encourage more people to seek out um, these, 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 you know, these roles, these, these leadership well, roles? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, um, we have a, a huge responsibility as leaders to, um, to, to share opportunity, to really make opportunities um, open to, you know, I, in the olden days, you know, I can remember teams where, you know, only the people in the know got the, chan the, the chances, the opportunities, you know, and it was very much a kind of closed shop. And you think, well, where did they, how, how did they get to do that? How did, but um, I, I think so it's very much, um, you know, almost a kind of quantification of opportunity and then real disclosure of ways in which um, people can become involved and trying to understand and 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 engage and communicating when people don't take up those opportunities. Why? You know, it's not enough to say, well, we put ourselves, you know, that we put them out there and no one took up the opportunities. Because if that's a certain group of people who don't, be that women or be that more um, certain types of, of of students or staff, it's incumbent on 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 leaders to really have a responsibility to ensure that there is representation um, from across groups in taking up um, those, those opportunities. Um, and that really is, it turns, it turns the responsibility back on the leaders to really, um, to really quantify and ensure that um, there is a, a, a broad representation of, um, of, of colleagues, of students, of staff who are taking up the opportunities that you're putting out there. Um, and it's an alarm bell, a real alarm bell, if, you're, um, if your teams are are clearly holding back or not putting themselves forward or only certain um, types of colleague are coming forward, be that male, female or, or, or of different groups. And again, I think there's a sophistication in understanding why certain groups may not come forward. And so, for example, um, I used some, again, it's a long time ago, but one of the most enjoyable parts of my early career was, um, was travel. Um, and building new partnerships with other universities, dual degrees. Um, there's the beginning of the Erasmus programme, and this is in the 1990s. Lots of European travel, meeting really interesting people, etc., etc. And we come back with um, come back with lots of opportunities to go and teach in in Italy, in Spain, in France, all all over Europe. Um, fabulous opportunities um, to really develop and expand. Now, there's you know clearly there are constraints on us in terms we can't all take out the opportunity to travel and go and teach. Um, that might be about childcare. It may be about confidence. It may be about um, just not um, not really understanding what it, what it takes to go and deliver a lecture. Let's say in a in a in a huge. Um, lecture theatre in, in France. Um, so much of that, so you know, there's no point putting out the opportunity if you know that most people will be hugely intimidated or just not be confident enough to, to engage in that. And so again, um, it's making sure that um, it's not just an offer of a, of, of, um, uh, of a, a once in a lifetime chance. It's also about support and development within that and, and mentoring and, and, and really um, guiding 
um, colleagues through the process to make sure that they can come forward and do that. So yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a huge multi-layered responsibility as a mentor. Um, there's nothing, um, but it certainly isn't as simple as just putting, just not just sharing opportunities, it's sharing them, but supporting people in taking up those opportunities to really, um, to really benefit from them and grow. Mm. Yeah, so we've, we've talked about things from a sort of mentor standpoint, but I think one of the things that I'd love to hear more about, if you could uh, maybe um, be a little immodest uh, for a moment, I mean, because one of the things that you have had tr did a tremendous job of at the University of Law was creating a much more diverse um, leadership team, administrative staff. I, I know when we spoke, it was extremely important to you that the staff reflected the student body. Um, but I think it would be, be interesting to hear sort of, your journey how how you how did you transform the leadership and the administration how did you actually do that i mean i think i think it's really interesting you know from an institutional standpoint and if you're a if you're a dean or you're a president of university how do you create um a sort of more institutional approach uh to this so there's some things some takeaways from your experience at university law that you can you know pass on to other leaders listening in yeah, okay. I think, um, yeah, the University of Law leadership team, uh, the executive was um, um, majority were women. Um, that was certainly not inherited. So, um, again, um, in joining the university, and clearly one, one looks around and assesses um, the, um, the experience, the knowledge, the caliber of the, of, of the individuals who, who are there, um, it was very clear to me that there was an outstanding, um, a very, very rich um, resource at the university of um, experienced um, female administrators and academics. Um, in fact, the University of Law is, is quite unusual in that um, the majority of its academic staff are women. Um, uh, not quite around 60%, but again, that, that, that constantly changing. Um, that wasn't reflected in the leadership team when I arrived. However, again, looking, um, you know, basically creating a, a, a new um, executive team um, allowed me to, um, to explore um, what, what the resources were that were there. I think it's important as well. We all, we tend, to, new leaders come in and tend to look to bring their teams with them. And I think there's a value to that. But I, I would say in the first instance, really exploring what uh, the, the richness of the resource at, at hand is, is hugely important, particularly when a university or an organization has gone through a, a, um, pretty consistent period of change. It's important to, um, to ensure stability and confidence. And so um, because the university had gone through a long period of change, it was important to really, um, really extract, ex extract the very, very best um, and promote the very best within that team. Um, and those, um, those women, and they know who they are, they're brilliant. Um, they really um, ha had a, a collective experience and know-how that was the, um, the engine for, uh, for growth, innovation uh, and, and stability. Um, and I think we underestimate the, the need for stability in, a cha in, in changing times. So, um, again, I think as well, um, again, I don't want to be controversial, um, but I, I think women bring certain, um, to encourage women within leadership roles and to step forward, I think one can um, develop a culture which is, um, is, is slightly different to one which may be, may be characterized by more male-dominated um, leadership teams. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not um, this isn't scientific and it's not, um, it's not meant in any way to be, um, to be hostile to, to male, 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 male teams in that way. But I, I think um, teamwork and non, uh, trying to cultivate a, a, um, a culture of, where confrontation is not the is not what is um, is seen as being progressive or or really going to deliver on what's required. So consultation, um, uh, very much a collective 
the cult of the individual, I think, has no has very little place in 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 effective leadership teams. Um, now, that's probably very controversial. There's probably lots and lots of empirical evidence which which challenges that. But in my experience, to bring forward um, and work with more diverse teams. Um, the cult of the individual it's not about the individual it is very much about how you bring on engage um and in a non-confrontational collaborative way can i just say as well i think child care is absolutely fundamental to the piece and understanding that um not just child care but um, for whatever the dynamic uh, women um do bear uh, a lot of that responsibility but also for parents as well and caring responsibilities. So those boards or those um, leadership teams where routinely there are meetings in the evening or early morning or crazy things which are totally unnecessary um, in a well-run organization, um, really um, in, delivering on um, an agenda which is time, time constrained where, where you can rely on um, on, on your working day and not be um, constantly angst about um, about getting home or about your other responsibilities gives a much um, a much greater um, stability and, and confidence to be and come forward and I, and I think that um, that plays through in um, women coming forward and women women then staying in that um, in that zone and then themselves moving forward to be, you know, to put themselves forward and, and be successful and apply for promotion um, and bring other women along with them. So I, I do think it's, um, it's a tone, it's a culture, it's, um, it's, um, it's a positioning as, as well. And I think, if, I think that does permeate across an organisation. Um, um, and that isn't in any way to preclude um, men coming into the team, which we have wonderful men too. But um, in terms of that balance and that 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 representation, I think they that was very much my experience and one which I would wish to you know develop moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, everything you're saying is applicable to the private sector as well. Uh, mm. So, so um, I think this is this is great for business leaders to be getting this type, you know, getting this type of input and advice from you. So, so thanks for, for sharing. One, one thing we spoke about, um, you know, uh, in sort of conversations before the podcast was, um, I think one thing that you seem very um, uh, interested in, and I, and I, I, I mean, it was sort of leadership, sort of crisis leadership, you know, uh, and, and leadership during COVID times and then for everyone's benefit, you know, um, Professor Andrea Noland, uh, you, you left University of Law just some months ago, right? I think it was in August. That, yeah. yeah. So it's it's just it's just recent, and I think um, I think that's a very interesting topic. Uh, it's one that I thought a lot about, which is what you know. How did how did you approach um, leadership during COVID times, and and then also what are some takeaways? Uh, going forward, because I know personally, as a as a leader, as a CEO of Keys Education Group, um, there are definitely some things that I learned from COVID times that I've incorporated permanently into my uh, leadership playbook, if you will, or the approach that we uh, we take with uh, with employees and, and the business. So I'm really, you know, interested in. I think others will be very interested as well. Hear more about, you know, the things that you how you handled COVID nineteen you know, what your approach was, and then also the things that you will take forward in your, your future leadership roles. Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's, all, um, it's a wonderful um, affirmation of the adage, you, we never stop learning. Um, yeah. <laughs> that day back in um, March um, 2020, um, etched upon all our, all, all our memories. Um, I think... And my experience as a leader to that point, um, I think I, I changed. There was certainly a, a, a distinct change in uh, in how I how I personally changed um, to adapt to that leadership challenge. Um, I think um, overnight, um, what what was required was. Um, Above all, is is assurance, um, um, confidence, um, and rapid response. You know, clearly it was a rapidly changing en en environment. Um, 
everyone was very concerned, worried, um, and having a, the, a calm and um, a calm presence and an assurance that we would step by step work through um, the crisis um, and the constant reassurance that that was the case um, was absolutely key. And I think what became clear almost immediately was that everyone, the, the responsibility of the leadership was to have consistent and clear communication. And we couldn't communicate too much. So on, on a daily basis, having um, senior teams, senior management, and also engaging with the wider university in terms of colleagues, uh, as well as students, um, just step by step, um, even when there was nothing really to update, it was to still be there with um, the reassurance that as as, as things changed, we you, um, um, we would share that information. That um, and as I say, so, it's interesting. Sometimes there was nothing really to say uh, other than that um, we're, we're you know collectively we're uh, we're working together. We'll support each other, um, and so I think. In, in that whole piece, what was very clear was communication is absolutely, well, it is critical in any leadership role, but in throughout the pandemic, um, that was the key, um, the key takeaway. And the key, uh, uh, Eric, as you say, what, what, um, what is, what is endured and what will persist yeah. beyond, hopefully, um, the pandemic will be um, um, the, that, that learning, which is um, collective communication, engagement, support, not just communication one way, but also inviting, um, you know, again, there are many advantages to the, to the, um, to the pandemic in, in terms of greater visibility uh, online, um, in terms of Zoom calls. So it's allowed um, an outreach, uh, really outreaching to 600 university staff. They were all on, um, on, on, on that Zoom call. Um, the chats were busy, people were coming forward, um, a, a lot more engagement. And what, what we got was very much, uh, very strong feedback, which was, hey, this is great. Um, we know what's going on. You know, we're part of um, an organization who uh, are talking to us. Um, again, it may not have been something that was constructive in, in terms of dissemination of information, but it was a, a collective um, esprit de corps, which, um, which I think is really, really a, a very powerful um, and quite, quite transformational um, um, uh, shift in an organization, which if that can be maintained post-pandemic, um, I think is it, again will will continue to really um, really gel um, organisations together, both both universities, higher education, and, and, and beyond. So yeah. yeah, lots and lots of learning. But um, I think in terms of really as a, as a leader, it was getting down and dirt, getting down into into the real nitty gritty of how essentially you move from one week to another um, to delivering classes online, um, not um, in, in a way that is, um, is delivered through um, technology that staff may not have, not have had all of that training to really push that training forward to make sure that students had what it, what it was, what was required in terms of technology, in terms of laptops and access to, uh, to, um, to the IT. So huge logistical challenges um, which again, I think, as we shared all of those um, that, that that information that transition, a lot of the different groups across the university started to understand what other groups did, and I, I think that again is that collective understanding of the multifunction um, university is, is is really key, and and I would hope that for many people it. Um, probably gave them a great depth and breadth of knowledge and will allow themselves to be equipped with the skills and knowledge to progress their own careers uh, in, in the future. Hmm. Do, you, do you think, um, have student expectations, so I, I mean, I guess what I'm hearing also is that, you know, have student expectations changed uh, in terms of what they expect? I mean, is that, that's kind of what you're sort of indicating is, is that maybe student expectations have changed in terms of what they expect from leaders uh, at, at universities? Um, in terms of leadership, uh, I think you can overstate the importance of leadership in universities to students. 
um, let's not kid ourselves. You know, it's um, students want um, high quality education with outstanding outcomes. So again, the, the, the personality is not the issue. The issue is yeah. the quality of what's being delivered. So I think in terms of um, during, during the pandemic, communication was important. Um, that students were being heard and I think again that visibility was important both at a, a course, a, a campus, a dean, a, a, a vice-chancellor level um, and there were some very difficult times you know it was a challenging time for the students um, um, it was equally challenging for staff to be able to to make the shift to a different way of learning um, so I think um, how students interface with the university did change um, and their expectations of the university given that they um, I think probably had not really understood or I guess, why should they you know that they, they are they were receiving the services the educational services of the university um, so how we transitioned and took them on that journey and mm. you know, it wasn't all plain sailing for any university um, to get it right um, I think students did um, show huge um, goodwill and patience and innovation and they were brilliant and they performed um, you know superbly well given the challenges that 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 were presented to them but uh, I think we we on that journey really delivered um, to the very best of, of, of our abilities um, in, in, in a difficult con context. What is interesting is um, students clearly don't, well, certain students do want to go back to that face-to-face, -face, um, all of those <clears throat> things that are cherished about undergraduate education. But they want more than that now. And I don't think we're ever going back to um, the pure on-campus experience. Um, because students want choice and flexibility and, 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 so, and so they should. And I think the pandemic did show that um, students' behaviours in terms of having recorded lectures, having interactive seminars, um, when it came to coming back to campus, which is you know, crucially important, particularly for undergraduate students, um, they want to come back, but they also want all of those other, that other functionality. They want to be able to um, to download the, the lecture. They want to be able to attend remotely a seminar where there are remote attendees and also um, students attending in, per in person. So all the technology that is um, is going into perfect those methods of teaching um, are really are acceler being accelerated to match um, the expectations of students so that they can basically select their their means uh, that they they can select how they want to attend and when they want to attend and, yeah. and and i think that's a real a real advantage it's one of the very positive outcomes of um of the pandemic and i don't think um there will be any return to the the well if there there already was a transition away from that that traditional way of, of learning so um yeah, a very, very different world. And, um, and, and we haven't seen all of the, um, the real impact yet because um, I think students' behaviours are, again, are still changing. There's an element of relief at being back on campus. We've still got to see a lot of the impact in terms of performance, which still looks very, very positive, but also um, how students feel about the way they've learned. Um, and how they want to learn going forward, given that many of those many of our undergraduates, for example, will move into a postgraduate world. And indeed, whether um, the whole premise of um, transferring traditional um, learning on, in, onto an online um, format is, um, is, is radical enough or whether we need to go some steps beyond and that's that's really exciting part of um of looking at what the future will bring will bring in terms of education mm. yeah it's it's interesting i mean i think uh you know i was i was in the uk last week i was in the us a couple of weeks ago you know meeting with um yeah with me with customers and partners and um and companies that we have and and um certainly what i was hearing was that student expectations have changed in terms of engagement from leadership um, at universities. I think, I think they, at least that's what I'm hearing. There's a great expectation for universities to support students 
Um, and and then I think just greater visibility of of leaders. I think they've. I think in some, at least what I'm hearing is their expectations have been reset in in that in that way at least. And then secondly, of course, um, in general, not specifically about law because law is a great profession because it's it's a very clear path to a job. But certainly, employability is is definitely. And students are very focused on. When they choose a school, they choose a their their or choose a degree. They're super much more focused than they were pre-COVID, in in a degree leading to a uh, you know to a job. Yeah, only a function of the COVID COVID effects of the uncertainty created from uh, from COVID. Yeah, so. I, just just to pick up you up on that. In, in terms of um, support, I think again one of the key pieces is not just the kind of innovation in course design and delivery to to uh, to be flexible and to deliver that um to, to deliver teaching at a and teaching and learning in a, in, in a more flexible format i think the the pandemic the the bigger picture of the pandemic was is support above and beyond um the teaching core um and what we saw was um i mean the university of law already had really really um significant resource in in, in employability again as you say because it's a lot it was primarily a law school um, and a long tradition of doing that but um, with not all undergraduate students in, who study law um, or business necessarily want to go into those professions um, so again it's a, it's about building all of that infrastructure around um, that supports that um, that um, exposes students to more than the, the classroom um, in terms of be that technical support, be that um, life skills um, above and beyond. Uh, I mean, in, in many, in many events, um, and on many occasions, a lot of that is is, um, is is integrated into courses, but the pandemic saw that um, much, much more above and beyond that in terms of pastoral care, in terms of, as, as we know, the huge impact on mental health and, and the support that was required and the investment therein, and, and the responsibility for universities to step up to that and yep. invest in that. And again, in terms of leadership, absolutely, um, that was, um, and continues to be um, a real focus for universities post-pandemic. Yeah, I've, I've heard the, the theme mental health uh, pretty consistently in the conversations yeah. I've had. You know, I had, and this is both, this is US and, and UK, both in both sides of the Atlantic. So it's uh, definitely an impact. Uh, I think one, one thing we haven't um, discussed um, yet, and we, we ought to, uh, <laughs> which is, um, is sort of, uh, you know, we, about the, you know, education, law, you know, so the legal education. I mean, what are some uh, trends in the law profession or legal education that you'd sort of point out uh, today? How is it changing? How is the education of lawyers changing? Um, you know, if you compare sort of five, 10 years ago to now and, and how you see things going forward, I mean, what, what sort of changes do you see? Well, and the last uh, again over the last five years, we've been um, law schools have been preparing for uh, a, a major change in terms of the qualification of of, of, of lawyers, in that um, the current training <clears throat> um, the current vocational training system is changing to um, to um, to with the introduction of the solicitor's qualifying examination, which um, is um, means that. Um, a whole new regime of centrally set exams will be um, will be will be uh, int introduced over the next two two to three years. So at the University of Law and in other law schools, um, there have been major changes to those postgraduate qualifications to um, and and uh, changes in the in the way in which they will be delivered. Um, again, it comes back to choice in the sense that. Um, for example, at the University of Law, there's a, com a comprehensive range of choices available to students who wish to qualify as a solicitor from um, from very hands off, um, quite, quite minimal input right through to um, master's degrees as they stand at the moment um, to ensure that the um, um, that uh, the, the graduates are trained um, and will pass the solicitor's qualifying exam and move it, move into into employment. So, major change in um, in in the education of lawyers um, over the next um, two to three years as that transitions in. I think, in terms of um, legal education in general, because um, we tend to focus on the vocation, the vocational, and the passage through to 
um, qualification. I think um, another trend over the last few years has been both in undergraduate education and postgraduate legal education, um, the appreciation that knowing the law isn't enough. Um, you know, lawyers need to know the law, full stop. And that is, that's, that, you know, that's a significant part of an undergraduate degree and indeed a postgraduate degree preparing for the profession. But it's much more than that. Um, lawyers need to be um, trusted friends, trust, trusted advisors to clients. Um, they have a role above and beyond the technical area of law. Um, and that does involve a, a greater understanding and appreciation of, of business uh, and the commercial aspects of, of, of business um, at, in terms of client care and, um, and, and, as I say, being a trusted advisor to a client. Um, so um, in, at the University of Law, the undergraduate and postgraduate degrees um, and qualifications all were, were, um, were um, reviewed to to incorporate elements of, of business, both um, from a client care perspective, and, but also from a more commercial understanding of the needs of clients uh, uh, of different types. So the law um, and the legal profession is constantly evolving. And, and the great thing about a law school um, is um, that responsibility to innovate, to anticipate what, what is required, but also to, to listen to listen to law firms, listen to um, our client base. The University of Law has extensive range of client firms. And again, they are trusted partners in understanding what, um, what they need in terms of future employees, what their clients are telling them. And that, that virtuous um, circle um, in terms of engagement is really a fundamental to understanding what our responsibility as law school, law school is to, um, to embed within um, that, that huge rate, that, well, that extensive range of um, legal qualification from a foundation degree right through to um, postgraduate qualification and continuing um, um, legal education because we have lots of, um, university has lots of um, qualified professionals who come back for updating and development. So particularly um, crucial moments in the, in, a, in the change in, in legal qualification. But again, it's building on that, um, that constant um, innovation, improvement. Ultimately, um, lawyers serve the public. We, you know, is, is, is delivering a service, which is absolutely critical to within, within society. Um, and ensuring that um, our graduates um, have the skills and knowledge to both be outstanding employees, but also really, really delivering um, with impact within society is, is, is fundamental. Mm. How, how do you, how did you, and how, yeah, how, how did you institutionalize sort of the connections in the industry? I mean, how did you sort of create this uh, institutional uh, dialogue Okay. From, I think from, that's a, from business or not, you know, sorry, from law firms. So you, you got it. Yeah. What was the process and of, of actually organized such a way that it really had a broader impact on the university in terms of curriculum development? And yeah. uh, well, I think the, the, the university of law and previously the college of law has a very rich tradition of um, delivering professional courses to, um, to industry. And, you know, many of the students that we have are sponsored by law firms. Um, I, they, they're paying the, you know, the, the fees of those students to, to study with the University of Law uh, and with other providers. So it, it, that relationship has been built over many, many decades. Um, and with that comes the responsibility to, um, and the opportunity to really listen and engage. So it is very much a two-way, well, a three-way piece because um, it's not just the law firms, it's the legal regulators, it's the market, it's the legal experts, um, and it's also the students and what they want to achieve as well. So um, that dialogue is ongoing. The University of Law has a dedicated team led by you know, outstanding members of the executive who, who, who focus their, um, all, all their time on um, liaison discussion with um, with law firms, um, both firms that work with us, but also firms who work with other providers. Um, again, is there is a, in in that sense that it is a um, a constant dialogue to ensure that as as the law evolves, as client services evolve, um, as society evolves, 
um, that um, it's very much kept um, kept up to date. And that, that is a quite a, um, a, a singular feature of, of the University of Law and a, a, a small number of law schools who have that relationship, uh, those exclusive relationship with firms. Um, so again, a lot of investment, a lot of time, but absolutely critical. And again, it's one of the reasons why students want to come to the University of Law because of those extensive those those relationships with um with firms and the their um opportunity to engage with firms um when they arrive at the university hmm. one thing that you said at the outset and it's it's also something we, we've spoken about before is uh this the focus on i guess to put it sort of more in a business term the customer right i mean you're very i know that in in as a leader you were very focused on you know student centricity Mm -hmm. uh, customer happiness. I mean, how how you could talk a little bit about um, how how did you ensure um, sort of satisfaction, and sort of customer satisfaction, and how did you measure measure the the happiness of the, of, of students along the way, along the journey? Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, you could spend a lot of time on on. Um, talking about satisfaction and outcomes and whether they're the same thing. I mean, ultimately, a student will be satisfied if the outcomes from their, you know, if they have successful outcomes, that comes back to the employability piece. So um, I think it, and the sector has measured satisfaction separate in separate metrics from, from for example through the national student survey as slightly separate to outcomes and there is a um a coalescing of those metrics um as we move forward where the office of students now is much more focused on outcomes rather than satisfaction and the um the the happiness of the student isn't necessarily the um the, the, the first and foremost i'd like to think that the two uh, combine uh, i think the real um from very very early on one of the key uh, factors i think in terms of my um development career is is, is metrics um and really the forensic analysis of data um, in the early days, um, when I started um, in universities in the 90s, there was very little examination of, um, of student outcomes, be that in terms of academic performance, in terms of progression, in terms of employability, and in terms of student feedback, just mere you know, straightforward feedback. So I think um, one of my early roles was very much about collate, collating a, a suite of metrics, which allowed us to um, to review the success of a course and indeed of, of, of a lecturer um, and indeed of the university as a whole. And so we were doing that long before the sector was doing it. Um, and I think that probably came back because of a law background, because um, clearly um, client satisfaction is absolutely key, be that the student or be that the employer who is seeking to employ the student. Um, but also the, um, the success um, in terms of pass rates, in terms of classification. Um, and it, that also goes back to diversity, ensuring that there are, you know, there is a consistency in outcomes and equal opportunity for students who are progressing, uh, similar students who are progressing through those routes. So I think it was, um, as I say, the forensic analysis of, um, of performance um, was really been critical to driving interventions. So obviously it's not just finding out what the performance is, it's then understanding what can be done to intervene and, and, and assist. And that can mean, that can come in all kinds of different forms. Um, it may be sh changing assessment methodology. It may be, um, you know, really getting feedback, which allows um, an understanding of why particular courses or, or, or assessments are not working for the student. Um, again, and I think it's all, it's very much about not taking, um, performance as a uh, not pushing back and saying well it's just about standards because it's not just about standards it's a little bit like saying well you know we we have an imbalance of genders on boards um, that's not because people aren't good enough it's because well first of all that's not the objective the objective is to have a, a, you know, an equal balance a fair representation so why isn't that happening 
Um, so exploring why that's not happening and putting in place interventions to um, to ensure that the direction has changed has been has been key. So data is all um, and continues to be. Um, and it can be oppressive sometimes. Um, it can sometimes look like it deflects from the um, from the task at hand. But really, that's moved. The sector has moved hugely in terms of really understanding the measures that um, that we take in terms of looking at students' success, outcomes, employment, and and indeed satisfaction. Mm. So um, just I have sort of two final questions. And the first one is uh, if you could, I'd like to talk also about so my second question just will, will be about your future plans, but we'll come back to that. But I, I'm just looking back for a moment. I mean, what what are you most proud of in, in terms of what you've achieved in the past? And uh, I guess related to that, um, what would be some uh, quick, you know, quick you know, summarize, uh, quick advice for a leader who's trying to encourage more women uh, in their leadership team and more diverse leadership team, and also those who are um, aspiring uh, to be leaders. So that's sort of a three-pronged question, um, but love your thoughts on that. And just in terms of a summarize yeah. uh, your, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the, 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 I split the two because I, I think in terms of what I'm most proud of, I'm proud of the teams I've worked with, and I and I hope that I've had some impact in 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 developing and nurturing careers. So I, I hope that. But I mean, I I don't know. I have to say though that the thing I'm most proud of is all of those graduation events where I've celebrated the outcomes for for students because you know the universities are not ultimately the universities are about students and and success um and that is without a doubt my my you know the worst wonderful takeaway from from my career i think in terms of teams and women um and how and and not, not just women but in terms of diversity i think really um you've got to get really tough and ask some very tough questions because the status quo isn't good enough um, and, you know, we can be, I, I am a non-confrontational, pretty easygoing person, but it's not good enough. And if you are in a team which clearly is not, um, is not representative of society or the students that you're teaching, and someone's saying, well, it's about talent, well, I think you have to pause and say, it's my responsibility as a leader because this is not, I, I have failed if I am not really agitating here for change and it, and it has to be constant because it slips and people will keep coming back and saying well we have to employ the, the best people and again the, the point is they cannot if you are saying the best people are not representative what are you saying about parts of of society be that women be that whole the, the whole ethnicity and diversity of, of society so you know, it's about getting real um, and, and agitating and not letting it go because it's easy to let it slip. Mm. Um, but we have a responsibility to keep pushing. Um, not in a it's not a, it's not an aggressive piece because that's not you know, it, it's that persistence that, um, you know, you, you can't be serious if you really think that teams should not you know you have to go out and really actively engineer the ways in which you can recruit representative uh, high quality teams and it's doable it can be done um and, and be, can be done hugely successfully so i that's my takeaway it's, which is a little bit more hard-edged but it, it's um it's certainly imperative on mm. leadership um both you know across both i would say universities and and, and society as a whole Mm. No, thanks for that. And just final question. Um, love to hear about your future plans. What, what, what's, what's, uh, what is the future going to bring for you? What's your next, talk about your next role. Um, um, well, I've got a range of opportunities open to me. I'm enjoying at the moment having a sabbatical and doing some voluntary work and some, some research, which is such a long time since I've done it. So I've got another role to come back to in the new year um, and we'll, we'll see from there. But for now, um, going back to being an academic um, is, been, um, is, is really wonderful and doing some research and giving a little bit back as well. I think, you know, having um, a couple of voluntary roles within the community, within the sector, 
is is great as well. If I can share some of my um, some some of what I've I've learned, um, and let's see what the new leadership role in the in the new year brings. Okay, no, great. Well, listen, thank you so much uh, for taking the time uh, with us, and also thanks so much for uh, the time we've 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 had we had two conversations before this, uh, and I've really enjoyed these conversations. And I honestly, you know, have learned a lot and have been inspired by what you've done. Um, so there's there's some definite takeaways for me uh, going forward in, in my leadership. And, I, and I, I know it's the case for anyone who's listening in. So I just want to say thanks. Well, thank for, you. It's been sharing a great, your thoughts. Yeah, great pleasure to talk. And, um, you know, I'm happy to, happy to answer any questions if anyone has them now or indeed at all, you know, do get in touch. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care.